few weeks. You've heard me define this for you. A disciple is a learner under discipline or a disciplined learner. So we're not just to be hearers of the word, we're to be doers. We're to discipline ourselves to do the things that God has for us. And so we, uh, we create a foundation here for our discipleship process. It's based on five things. Read your Bible, pray, commit and connect to church, financially give and live on mission. And those are the basic five elements. Everybody say it with me. For all believers. Those five things aren't for the spiritually elite. They're for every Christian. It is the radical minimum standard. That's why we call it the radical five. It's a minimum standard. It's not the maximum standard. It's the starting point. And so for Christians to begin to grow and experience the dynamics that are associated with our faith, these five things have to be functioning. That's how God works. And so he builds off of those five. If you're not putting those five or those five are not active in our lives, there's a problem. The house cannot be built correctly. This is why systematically within churches, if these things are not operating, nothing else is going to happen. So everybody say it with me. Read my Bible. Pray, commit, connect to church, financially give, and live on mission. So we're going to talk about living on mission. This is maybe a new concept to a lot of you. Um, there's a word called missio dei, which means the mission of God. God is a mission. God has a mission. Jesus came as a missionary. Okay? He was sent to seek and save the lost. And so the mission, when we tend to think of the mission of God, we think, oh, we should go to Africa, or we should go to some, you know, Guadal, uh, some foreign country, you know, to, among, the, among the pygmies, and we need to bring the gospel there. That's not, what, that's not what it means. God's mission, say it with me, God's mission, God's mission. is all-encompassing. The church and Christians are to organize themselves around the mission of God. Your life is not organized around the daily routines as your boss dictates them to you, or even as your family dictates to you. You are to take the mission of God and incorporate that into every aspect of your life. Crickets. So they were supposed, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians. Church isn't just a place that you come and go. Christianity isn't a spectator sport. It's a lifestyle. A lifestyle. Okay? Not just any lifestyle, it is a supernatural lifestyle. Amen. So not just the church, but the people themselves are to organize themselves around the, around the mission of God. Everybody say it with me. The mission of God, mission of God is, spiritual, is spiritual and it's social. And this oftentimes is the dividing line between churches. We have an evangelical crowd, so if you look at it this way, two hands, right? So we're in a fight. Can we agree? Do you guys understand the concept that the Bible tells us we're in a fight? You know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, fight the good fight. So we're in a fight. If I'm a fighter and I got my right hand tied behind my back, I'm not going to do too well, right? If I'm a fighter and I got my, and I got my left hand tied behind my back, I'm not going to do too well. But if I got both hands up, I stand a pretty good chance of winning, okay? Or at least staying alive. <laughs> so the church oftentimes divides down these lines. We have evangelical groups that are just spiritual, or even if they're not spiritual, they're evangelical. It's the right hand of salvation. Boom, boom, boom. You know, we're just driving that right hand into culture. Born again, saved, repentance. Very important. That is the strength of the church. That is the right hand of the church. The left hand of the church. So we have another group of church Christians. It's social gospel. You, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, feed the poor and, and, and all that stuff. And that's very, very important. It's not either or. Say it with me. It's not either or. It's, not either or. it's and. and. 
We cannot sacrifice the spiritual at the expense of the social. So what oftentimes happens is, is we, but we sacrifice the, 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 so, the spiritual oftentimes sacrifices the social. And what we're doing is we're failing in what is called Edenic or the Eden uh, concept, the, 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 the renewal of all things. We're failing to understand that the church's role in society is the renewal of the society itself. Okay? Is the restoration of the society itself. So there is a social aspect to the church. And people want to say, oh, social gospel, that's social justice, that's liberalism thinking, that's all this other stuff. And I'm like, it's in the scripture. It's very, very clearly in the scripture. But what we don't understand is how do we reconcile the two? Well, I'm going to do my best to show you how we reconcile the two. Do do you have it all figured out, Kevin? No, but I'm going to show you. So let's just start with the social. What does it mean for what is the church's social responsibilities in the mission of God? What is that? We are to create a restorative network of change. What does that mean? If the fabric of a society is weakening, we are to strengthen it. We are to identify areas around our lives and around our cities and around our communities that are broken down. And we're not just to go over there and slap a band-aid on it. Okay? We're to actually create a process for restorative and regenerative change. That night, now, you know, this might actually cause us to have to think a little bit <laughs> as Christians. You know, we may actually have to plan, we may have to strategize, but our job as the church and as individuals is to create a restorative network of change. One of the aspects of that is that we serve the underserved, we serve the least of these. That's what it means. But we don't serve the least of these with the idea that we're just serving the least of these and we're creating a dependency. That's never the the way the gospel is. There's an immediacy of meeting someone's need, but the restorative network of change is to bring people into a process where they don't have to stay where they are. You understand that? We're responsible to create that. And what we do a lot of times, there's nothing wrong with feeding the poor or feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and visiting. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the end of the day, we're to create a bridge into, from that place into something that creates a more lasting change into the people's lives if they're willing to, encounter and to, to receive it. Not everybody's willing to receive it, but that doesn't serve. That, not everybody's going to get born again. Not everybody's going to get saved. But that doesn't negate the fact that we're supposed to proclaim the gospel and tell people, just like not everybody that's in, in some chronic state or in some de- state of desperate need Not everybody is going to cross the bridge into restoration. They're just not. But there are going to be groups that will. And so this is the plan. This is the mission of God from the social aspect of it. Jesus said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. That sounds like social gospel to me. You know? And we can't figure it out because we go, well, is it social gospel or is it salvation gospel? Well, it's kingdom gospel. So let's just really define what it is. The Bible does not speak of a social gospel. It does not speak of a salvation gospel. It speaks of a kingdom gospel. Crickets, this is going to wreck some of you because some of you have been to Bible school and you've been taught these different concepts, but that is not the biblical concept. Jesus said this gospel of the what? Help me. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world. The gospel of the kingdom. Do we understand what the gospel of the kingdom is? Most don't. The inbreaking of the rule and reign of God into every sphere of life. That's the gospel of the kingdom. 
It's not the gospel of salvation. It's not the social gospel. Salvation is important because it is the door into destiny. That's why salvation is important. It is the door into the kingdom. It is the door out of, of brokenness. It is the door out of condemnation into forgiveness and into freedom. So salvation is highly important. I want to be very clear. I am pro-salvation. I am pro-born again. Man is hopeless and helpless without Jesus. You can't save yourself. If you think you can, good luck. You can't. You must give your heart to Christ in order to inherit the gift of salvation. So salvation is important. And so it's neither a social gospel, nor is it a salvation gospel. It is a kingdom gospel. God wants to inbreak into every area of life, into your life individually. This is the first place that you need to bring under rulership, Christian. When Joshua went into the land, God told him, bring the land into subjection. Drive out what's not supposed to be there. Take what is, put back what's supposed to be there. There are areas of our life that we have to bring into subjection. Most Christians are born again in the Spirit, but they're still masters of their time. <gasps> they're still masters of their money. They're still masters of their talent. It's true. You have not subjected that area of your life unto the king. Just a thought. So one of the destinies from an individual standpoint is to begin to let Jesus take ownership of the areas of your life that you still own. And some of you have no idea. I guarantee you, ask the Holy Spirit... This week, right now, in this moment, Holy Spirit, so let's just say it, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the areas of my life where I am still master. Reveal to me the areas of my life that are not subject to the gospel. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to show you. You're going to be walking down the street, he's going to go boom. Oh, and he's going to show you. You see, you've you, you got time for everything else, you don't have time for this. You, you are not subjecting yourself. You got this for that. You got all this stuff for this, but you don't have anything for this. He's going to show you. If you ask him, he'll show you. That's why I always dare people. Just ask the Holy Spirit. He's going to show you. 100%. He's the administrator of heaven. He administrates the kingdom unto the people in and through the church. That's what he does. I have no confidence in myself, but I have 100% confidence in the Spirit of God. 100%. That's right. Jesus has no confidence in you, crickets. That's why this is, a big, this is a liberating point for the believer. When you start realizing, wow, it's not about me, it's about His Spirit. Yeah, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit. And if you think God just looks at you and says, wow, you're so amazing. There's such an, you know, I just, man, Kevin, I've just been waiting for a guy like you to show up. You are just awesome. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Him, and it's the same with you. He is for you. You can't fail. If you rely on the Holy Spirit and you begin to cultivate that relationship, which is going to cause you work and time, but if you will begin to cultivate a relationship with the Spirit of God, your life will change. will change completely. You will not rely on the counsels of men or the counsels of emotion or the counsels of circumstance because the Holy Spirit advises beyond circumstance, beyond your feeling. Huh? and beyond what other people say. That's the point. If we look to him. So we have Jesus dividing the sheep and the goats. I wish those who were sick, you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. This is the social aspect of the kingdom. Next slide. So God expects us to minister this way. We are to work for and create systematic change from a gospel perspective. 
Everybody say it. From a gospel perspective, I'll give you a better word, from a kingdom perspective, not a political one. This is the problem, okay? We all got political views. And Miami's a unique city. Very unique. We could draw a line right down the church, and we're going to be 50 on one side, 50 on the other, 30 over. You know, we're going to be all over the place. So Miami is very unique. But that gives us a great opportunity to understand that we're not Democrats, Republicans, or Independents. We are kingdom people. That's right. For you. That's great. I'm, I'm with you. Revolution is on. My king is Jesus. Okay? Do I have views? Yeah, I got views. Do I got opinions? Yeah, I got opinions. Do I vote? Yes, I vote. But it's irrelevant to this. This takes preeminence. And so we're to create a system of change from a gospel perspective. What does that look like? How many knows there's systematic evil? Do we know that? There are not just evil. There are systems of evil. There are systems in our society that are corrupted and infected. I just had recently, and everybody was sounding off on, my, on this message board that I'm a part of, because this pastor is running for city commissioner. I don't know what district. I could tell you who he is. I know him. I was like, oh, that's where the guy went for two. He's running for commissioner. He was like, oh, Christians shouldn't get involved in politics. Church shouldn't go over here. And I'm like, listen, if this guy's a man of God and he has integrity, he should get involved in politics. We need to create systematic change in the areas of corruption. We're the salt of the earth. You understand? Yeah. Come on. We're the light of the world. There isn't going to be light in the schools unless some Christians decide to be teachers. There isn't going to be light in a culture unless some Christians decide, this is where I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring Jesus with me. I'm going to bring the kingdom with me. And I'm going to do my best to affect change from where I am. There's no change in the banking or the business world or anything like that unless somebody steps up. We are to create systems that come against systems of injustice. There's a ministry here. They're, they're in local in Miami. We partner with them from time to time, several of them. But one of them is um, Glory House. And they deal with women coming out of prostitution, which that's not really a happy thing to say. So we say sex trafficking, okay? But regardless, you get the context. You know, oftentimes when we think sex trafficking, we think like some of these girls are coming in on a boat and they're being like slavery or something. It's not just that. It's something else. So there's a ministry that's here. And what they're doing is they're creating a system of justice in place of the system of injustice. So where there's been abuse and where there's been neglect and where there's been a lack of value, they create a restorative, redemptive process, a system that brings these women to something beyond themselves. Job training, job skills, value. They, they try to bring beauty into the lives of people that have been broken and damaged. That is kingdom gospel. Okay? We have to create these systems and we have to value those systems. We change that we would create, social must have a redemption and lift. In other words, it doesn't leave people where they are. If we're just creating a system, listen, there's nothing wrong with meeting somebody's immediate need. So you may have a system that says, hey, we're going to meet the immediate needs of these people. But somebody else needs to come in with a system that says, we're not going to leave them there. We're going to, build, we're going to take them out of this. Or we're going to create a path out of this. To just simply meet someone's need day to day, we're creating systems of dependency, codependency. The only one we're created to be dependent upon is Jesus, right? And so we have to create not just a system. This I'm giving you the concept of God's will. It's not just a system where we feed the poor, clothe the naked, you know, uh, visit the strange. All of these things that the Scripture tells us to do, the sick, the weary, the broken, the prisoner, that we don't just create these things, but that we're taking them 
to a more redemptive place. This is what he asks of us, if you understand that. So spiritually, so that's the social dynamic of what God wants to do from his mission. This is what he's partnering with. Everybody say this with me. Grace, Grace. you're going to like this one. Grace Grace. is in the eye of the Lord. Do you know what grace means? Spiritual empowerment. That's what it means. It's charis. It's where the word charismatic comes from. Charismatic is the release and the manifestation of the gifts. Yeah. I love you, Moises. Wow. It makes me go wow, right? (laughs) Charis. Grace is spiritual empowerment. What we think grace is, is, well, it's just the grace of the Lord. You know, when Paul says, when the Bible says, Paul tells Paul, my grace is sufficient, what Bible, the Scripture is actually doing is God is saying to him, the anointing and the spiritual empowerment that I have given you is sufficient for what you are facing. But we have this context where we're like, oh, it's just, I'm just holding on by the grace of the Lord. You, you don't, we have no idea what that means. What does that actually mean? You know? But the word is found in its root. It's found in charis. It was found in the word charis. It is a gift of power. That's what it is. Charis, we get charity from it. But we also get spiritual power from the same word. So which one is it? It's both. It is a gift of spiritual power. It is a gift that surpasses your ability. The gifts of the Spirit are called charismata. The man, it's motion. It's charis in motion. Mata is where we get automatic. Right? Matic, mata is, is the word for motion. Charis is the word for spiritual power. So charismata is the Greek word, the combination of the two Greek words that means the spiritual gift in motion or the power of the Spirit manifested or known. That's what it means. So spiritual aspect of, our, of, our, of God's heart towards us, towards the kingdom, is that salvation, of course, that has to be at the forefront. Why? This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Okay? God so loved the world, John 3, 16, okay? that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You're separated eternally without Jesus Christ. There is salvation in no other. Acts tells us there is salvation in no other name. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee bows and every heart, every tongue confesses. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He didn't say, I'm a way, I'm a truth, and I'm a life. He never said that. People say, well, the gospel isn't exclusive. I'm like, you need to read it. It's incredibly exclusive. Jesus is exclusive. It's me and no one else. He's not one among many. He's the one and only. That's right. That's right. One rock star and his name is Jesus. And I bask in his light. And he is worthy of it all. All of it. So we're responsible to present a message of salvation to the world or the way of salvation to the world. Spiritual development is another aspect. Jesus said, teach them to observe all things. So this is a a spiritual development aspect. Teaching you, calling you to observe the things that God has called. And that's not just doctrine. See, again, if I were to take you down this way of what God really wants and what man actually presents, we have a disconnect. And the problem, I'm just going to speak to the church, and I feel like God's I'm like, why do I always do this? And the Lord's like, just prophetically declare it. So I'm going to prophetically declare it. If you're a manufacturer, if I'm Dell Computer, and a computer comes out the line, and it's dysfunctional, and it isn't working correctly, 
And I keep making these same broken computers that keep re can't reboot itself or whatever. It's broken. If I was wise, I would go back and look at my manufacturing process and figure out what's going wrong that we can't produce what we're trying to produce. Yet the church never looks at its manufacturing process. And we keep manufacturing broken, dysfunctional. We, we manufacture just completely not what we're supposed to. So we have to, be, because we just won't want to, we just think, well, ho, 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 ho. I'm like, look at our product. What are we producing? What is the product of the gospel? What disciples are we making? Religious, arrogant, finger pointers? Is that what Jesus wants? No. Indifferent people who could care less, filled with all the knowledge but couldn't care less? Is that what he wants? No. We have to look and say, what is it that he actually wants? This is the product that the master calls for. Therefore, stewards of the house, partner with the spirit to get to the point where you can manufacture that product. That's the goal. But yet somehow, we just, we've lost it. Spiritual development is not just to teach the people doctrine. This is, again, this is a misconception. Everybody's got to have doctrine. Man, I know people that can quote doctrine like crazy. I mean, they can just give me scripture. They can give me doctrine. They can give me beliefs. They can give me all kinds of stuff. But what they're really giving me is dogma. Jesus is interested in knowledge. He's interested in doctrine. He's interested in teaching. But he's also interested in relationship and encounter. And my wife and I were having this conversation. I said, the church is famous for sacrificing relationship on the altar of rules. Rules. Constriction. Jesus is way more gracious than you give him credit for. Way more gracious. He is way more, in, than you, he's way more dangerous than you give him credit for. Is he not holy? Yeah, he's holy. He's the definition of holiness. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. He's holy. But he's also free, and he's also liberating, and he's also reckless and wild. That's right. Right. His recklessness is because of his confidence. He is an extreme risk taker. He gives the gospel to us. <laughs> that's a crazy risk. Really, Lord? You're giving us the yeah, go. Yeah, you guys just go on out there. We don't know what we're doing. He's like, that's okay. Just just go for it, you know? Oh, we'll work it out. That, that's literally it. You know, that's how he works. Life application. So the church is to teach the people spiritually through spiritual development. Life application. To take the truths of God's Word and to make them applicable into your everyday lives. The knowledge of the Trinity does not benefit you if it cannot be applied into your everyday life. Teach the people to integrate the things of God into their lives. So we have the responsibility here. This is the God's social aspect. This is God's spiritual desire. And the responsibility of the church is to create projects that bring social change. So from a concept spiritually, we'll talk socially and spiritually. So from a concept of socially, the church corporately is to create projects that bring social change. Well, what projects do you create? Well, we ask the Holy Spirit what he wants. And then we let him tell us what he wants, and then we let him show us what he wants, because he knows what we're capable of. God does everything in a unique way, specifically to your design. That's why when he tells you something, he knows how he made you. He knows how he created you. So what he's going to tell you to do or ask of you to do is going to be unique to yourself. It's the same with churches. He will tell you what he wants, or he will tell the leadership what he wants, 
because he knows what that church is capable of or what he wants that church to do or what the mandate over that church is. So the church's responsibility is to create projects that bring social change. We're to create systems that could bring spiritual transformation. That's, by the way, Bible school, is it Monday? Is it tomorrow? Yeah, so here's a system that's going to help you create spiritual change. Book of Leviticus. Is that my right on that? So book of Leviticus tomorrow. You have, you, have a, you have a Bible school right here tomorrow teaching you the book of Leviticus. We have school of the prophetic right here to create spiritual change. Systems that create spiritual change. We do our best to develop those. Next slide. Responsibility of the Christian is to actively participate in the church's projects that are designed to create social change. What does that mean? Financially support it, get involved, pray, all of the above. Spiritual development, what is the individual's responsibility? To move out, say with me, move out of your comfort zone. Well, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know, Bible school, I don't know if it's right for me. I'm not too sure, I just, I don't know. I like my Monday nights, I like to do Netflix and everything. Move out of your comfort zone, right? Old school of prophetic, I don't know, that just kind of sounds weird, you know? I know it's in the Bible, and I know it's like spiritual and all that, but it's just really strange to me. Move out of your comfort zone. Crickets. Move out of your comfort zone. That's the responsibility of the believer. Commit to grow. Do the things that Jesus is ask, is, is, it requires. This is the word. He's not asking. Say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. isn't asking. Yes. I'm just going to do what the Lord asks me. Why don't you do what he's commanded you? Because there's lots of commands. The command to go and to reach people is, not, is called an emphatic imperative, and it falls on all of us. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Teach them to observe all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not the pastor's job. That is the disciple's job. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. That's the design. Well, that's your job, pastor. Not, not according to the Bible. That's not my job. Even though I do it, I take that individual responsibility and I do do it. But the goal is that. It's an emphatic imperative. We are commanded to go. We are commanded to become. Jesus is commanding you to leave where you are and come to where he is calling you. Believe, belong, become. Spiritually, we press in for growth and development. This is what it looks like. So what is it, what, how can you do this spiritually? You press in for growth and development. Well, I give the Radical Five this time of the year, and every Radical Five point has a challenge to it. So we have a New Testament challenge. What's the New Testament challenge? Read the New Testament this year. How about that one? Can we do that? Can we do that? Less than 6% or 7% of all evangelicals have ever read their Bible from Genesis to Revelation one time. And we wonder why there's no power in the church. Because less than 10% of us have ever read the book. Pray. What does prayer look like? Can you take 10 minutes a morning and pray? Can you just start a conversation with the Lord before your feet? Lord, just be with me today. If that's what you begin, Lord, help me. Teach me to hear your voice. Begin to have a dialogue. You know, if you want to learn to pray it down, go in the morning here and hear these ladies pray it down. Okay? They are praying it down. All right? Let Mickey pray over you. He'll pray over you. Let his wife pray over you. They're going to pray it down. I get mad sometimes because I want to go in there and I'm just like, you know. But the power's there. You'll learn prayer by listening to other people. But one of the ways you're going to learn individual prayer is just by talking to the Lord. Essentially, that's what it is. Speaking and listening. Yeah, there's other aspects of it, but that if you just begin to ask God for wisdom, 
Lord, I know you're there. By faith, I just want to ask you to give me wisdom today. By faith, I just want to ask you, whatever it is. And then let him start showing up. And let, you're inviting him. Jesus isn't going to involve himself unless you invite him. You have to invite him. Yes. He does nothing but by invitation in your life. You must invite him. He won't even save you. Even if you're not a born-again Christian and you don't know Christ as Lord, he's not going to save you until you ask him to. Even though he wants to. He will not transgress your will. It's the same thing in the life of the believer. We have to invite him to work on our behalf. We have a commitment and connection challenge. So if you're a member of this church and we went, we're asking you to commit. If you're kind of a fringer and you kind of dip in, dip out, dip in, dip out, dip in, dip out, you know, you're the universal Christian that you visit 10 churches all over town, you know, my challenge to you is that you would commit. That you would find one from which you draw strength from and you would commit there. And if you are a part of this church that you would, and you say, oh, I come here all the time. That's great. Well, why don't you step into membership? Can we, maybe your next step is to step into membership. Well, I'm already a member. Well, maybe your next step is to draw into a greater level of commitment. Maybe you're into a service team. Maybe you start hosting a small group or anything like that. Or maybe you're in all those things, but you don't really go to a small group. Your next step is to step into a small group. Commit and connect socially, spiritually, relationally. That's my challenge to you this year. We did last week, we talked about the tithe. 10% of the gross, belongs to the Lord. Crickets, take the tithe challenge and give to the Lord the full tithe, if you can. If your faith isn't there, I always tell Christians this, if your faith's not there, then start with 1%. Can you give 1%? If you can't give one penny on the dollar to Jesus and the work of his gospel, what is wrong with you? You need to have a hard, cold look in the mirror and go, what is my problem? I can't give 1% to the kingdom of God for his glory. Well, I don't have to. No, you don't have to. You get to. There's giving by mandate and there's giving by honor. The highest call to give is by honor. I give because it's, he's worthy of it. <laughs> worthy of it all. Not just 10%, not just 3% or 5%. He is worthy of what he asks for. He doesn't mandate it on the church, but he mandated it on Israel, but it is given to us as an act of love. You understand that? That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is. You think, there, you think he was kidding when he said that? He said, I'm going to measure your love by this thing. He measures your love by, oh, I don't believe that. Well, then you just keep right on doing what you're doing. You just keep right on doing it. If you can't give 10%, I understand. Some of us create lifestyles that are insufficient to the kingdom. We've created our own little empire. And so we have too much that we can't give to God because we have too many other responsibilities. You need to start giving 1% and saying, Jesus, increase my revenue or help me to decrease my expenses in order that you might have my rightful place, might have the rightful place in my finances. So whatever's got to happen here, Lord, by increase or by decrease, let you rise to the place that you deserve the honor from. That's my challenge to you. And I'm not going to go back into that, even though I just did. Anyway, live on mission challenge. What does that look like? Next slide. Identify five people in your world and pray for them. Five people who don't know Jesus, five dissident Christians, five prodigal Christians, five non-believers that don't know Christ and begin to pray for them. What are you praying for? That Jesus would open their heart to receive? That God would create opportunities for you to engage them? And that you very simply might invite them? Where am I inviting them? Invite them to a small group. Invite them to church. Invite them to a place where they can actually hear the gospel taught. That's the key. Bring them, Andrew, right? 
Not everybody's Peter standing up on the day of Pentecost preaching to 5,000. But all of us are Andrews. We can all go, come and see. We can all go, we can all bring someone to the master. There's no, you invite people to things all the time. It's not that hard. Okay? Well, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. Well, you have got to solve that problem first. We're Christians. Come out of the dark. Christian, come, say it with me. Christian, come out of the closet. Seriously. If there's one group of people that needs to stand with identity, it's the believer. Come on. You're a Christian. Just the way it is. You know? What an opportunity. All right, so I'm running out of time. We have a social project we're engaging upon. And I say this with great intrepidation because there are oh so many things that can go wrong. But I feel like I'm supposed to do this by faith. So I'm doing this by faith. We're creating and have been working on a project for a school for underserved children. We're going to do a Christian, spirit-led school for underserved children. And I ask the questions, I ask the key questions that relate to this. Will this school create restorative change? Answer, yes. These kids are going to come from broken homes, broken communities. They're going to come by God's grace, our intent to create this. I do not boast beyond our means. That's what the Bible says. Don't boast beyond your position. So by God's grace, we're going to create this opportunity that creates restorative and regenerative change into the lives of these kids. Does it serve the least of these? Absolutely. It's grant-based. It's for families of four making less than $60,000 a year. That's just about all of South Florida, by the way. So a lot of South Florida qualifies for that. And if you make a little more, then there's, this, there's, a, there's a sliding scale. State of Florida will give Christian schools grants to create schools. Did you know that? But, but the condition is, is they have to serve underserved kids. And for some reason, Christian schools, Christian churches don't want to serve underserved kids. It's like the church is going, would somebody please do the gospel? Church is going, nah. We want the suburban kids over here that are, you know, we want the parents that pay and make. And, I mean, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And you say, do you know what you're doing, Kevin? Not in the least bit. I know about 80% of this, but about 20% is completely new territory to me. But I'm confident in the Holy Spirit. If the vision isn't bigger than you, it's not from God. If you're capable of every aspect of it, it's not from God. You, there's got to be some room where a miracle happens. There's got to be some room where something comes, where the, where the divine comes into it. Will it create systematic change in the lives of these kids and create kingdom purposes? Yes. Our goal is to train a child in the way that they should go. Our job is to create a K-12 through program that when that kid comes through our system, we have a world changer graduating. That's my vision. Yes. We want to create kids that have the opportunity and the desire to change the world. That come from zero and they're at 60 when they graduate, man. They're ready to go. They're already up to speed. Does it create redemption and lift? Yes, it will create societal change. I have a whole plan on this, but anyway, next slide. I got two more. So this is the concept. We looked at a building. I'm just giving you guys an insight. I haven't talked about this in a while, and I thought I felt like the Lord was dealing with me all week. Talk about school, and I'm like, oh, talk about school. Oh, okay, I'll talk about school. <laughs> we looked at a building last year. The, the, the deal is basically we have a hinge. We have to set the campus up to get it approved. We're approved as a school by the state, but we've just set the campus up to get the campus approved by the state before we can start accepting grants. So that creates a bit of a quagmire. Okay, so we would have to rent a building, renovate the whole property, spend lots of